Welcome to Disambiguation. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. Each week, we interview experts in AI, generative AI, and business automation to help business leaders understand how to use these tools for the biggest business impact. In our show today, we look at elevating the customer experience with generative AI. I'm joined by Lily Chu Watson, Director of Product Marketing Experience Intelligence, Adobe Digital Experience uh, Business Unit. Lily, welcome. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Thanks. Uh, before we jump into questions, could we uh, just have a little uh, intro, maybe tell us a little about yourself and your role at Adobe? Yeah, sure. Um, well, like you said, I lead product marketing for experience intelligence. Um, what that entails, I meet with customers a lot, talking to them about the breadth of AI that we've built out across experience cloud applications over the years. Um, and then, of course, about the generative AI capabilities that we're building out and delivering today. Um, I also do a lot of work internally with a lot of teams, right? So product management and product marketing for different applications, data science, uh, marketing, legal, um, and all of that really in the pursuit of crafting like our go-to-market and strategy. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so let's just jump into it then. Um, so can you give us first, just to kind of set the stage, give us a bit of an overview on Adobe Sensei, Gen AI, and then how you've put that across the whole experience cloud? Yeah, um, I'll level set first about what Sensei Gen AI is, because probably most people don't know. Um, it, it's basically our family of generative AI services within experience cloud. So in terms of um, how we're integrating it, we're always led by the enterprise marketer, right? And their use cases. So that's like our number one priority. In terms of how we have integrated it and how we're thinking about it, um, I can describe it maybe in like three different buckets. Okay. The, the first one is this idea of assistance, right? And it's probably how most of us initially learned about generative AI. So that natural language interface, right? Helping us. So we certainly want to give that to our customers, make it easier to use our products, ask questions and get answers across our solutions. Okay. So I think there's definitely a lot of value in simply being able to eliminate time that's otherwise spent on repetitive tasks, right? Or tasks mm -hmm. that are navigating the user interface in term, instead of simply being more strategic. Um, I think the other piece that I'm excited about when it comes to assistance is then incorporating more intelligence into that. So if you think about assistance from maybe like what I would describe as a more thin value perspective, it's saying, you know, hey, create me an audience where the attribute exactly matches this value and this other attribute is this value, right? So you do save time. You certainly save time and you don't have to be an expert in the UI mm -hmm. to do that, which is great. But I feel like when you start to think about it more as um, maybe like KPI driven. So, hey, create me an audience of uh, 10,000 people who are most likely to order in the next month. Right. Then it starts to get really interesting because in order to actually find those people yourself, you're actually going to spend quite a lot of time right, right. doing analysis that you could now ask assistant to. So I think that that's one category of generative AI capabilities um, that we're putting out there. Then the second piece is, of course, like the, the generation piece, right? Creating copy, creating images, but also creating the experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And then again, because, you know, we're always thinking about enterprise companies and enterprise marketers, for us, making sure that what we generate is aligned with their brand or oftentimes many brands within the company, 
Like mm -hmm. that's super important, right? So that's a key piece of how we're thinking about this. Um, you know, our marketers are already using our experience cloud applications to create experiences today. So the mm -hmm. key piece is we want to make all of this functionality as accessible as possible in the workflows they already know, right? So mm -hmm. if we have a practitioner who's in Adobe Experience Manager, right, doing their daily job of, you know, changing content on the site, well, let's make it easy for them to ideate, generate content to use directly in that yeah. workflow, right? Or if you're a marketer in Adobe Journey Optimizer and you're orchestrating a journey across channels, again, like you shouldn't have to pop in and out of different tabs and applications, right, to get what you want. Ideally, it's yeah. all within a single stack. And so that's where, again, we want to make it so that if they're in the middle of constructing a journey, let's not interrupt that. Let's make it easy to generate content within that journey and keep moving forward mm. on executing on it. You know, one of the things you said that I think is really interesting um, and and does change the way we interact a lot with our with our applications is this idea that it becomes a natural conversation with the application instead of me trying to go through all these different steps of doing analysis, finding the right data, using that data set to build the the audience segment or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that to me, that, that in itself is a big uh, performance enhancer for, uh, for the marketer. Oh yeah, totally. And then, you know, for companies who've already invested in these applications, I mean, they want more users in these solutions, right? right? So the more we can do to sort of lower the barrier to getting people in yeah. and leveraging what they've already invested in, like that's that's good for both sides. Um, mm. The other the other area that we're focused on in terms of Gen AI is around measurement and insights too. Mm. And I think that's like a very key piece, right? So yeah. um, not only do we want to, again, democratize access to data to more users, right? So that if you're not an analyst, but you still mm. want insights, you can get those now more easily. But I think the other piece is, of course, as people get deeper into generating content, generating experiences, this question of performance should be top of mind for everybody, right? So I think that's the other piece too, is you know, mm. how are we understanding how experiences are performing? Sure. Why some experiences are mm. performing better for others? Yeah. Um, and then actually mm. incorporating those learnings back into the generative models. I mean, mm. I think that's that's the the linchpin here. Because at the at the end of the day, does it make sense to generate 10,000 experiences instead of 10, if you're not actually improving performance, I right. mean, I don't think so. It sounds like actually a huge headache. No, it, it sounds like a, a nightmare in some ways yeah. if you're, if you don't, right. I, you yeah. know, a few, few weeks ago, I was, I did an interview with, um, with someone from Informatica and we were talking about, um, about this idea that, one of the things that Gen AI is doing is really changing what we think of as analytics and how we interact with that. Yeah. And I and what you just said actually sort of aligns really well with that too. That in fact I'm asking questions of my data rather than trying to go through and learn some product or getting an analyst to do it for me uh, with a with a more of a static sort of report. I mean, it is a it's dynamic. It's real time. And that's how I want my data to be. I want to interact with it, right? So that I think that's really exciting, actually. Yeah, and I and I think there will be multiple levels of users, right? The people sure. who are power users today. I mean, enterprise 
user interfaces are challenging, but in some ways for a good reason, right? For all the flexibility and power that they want. But yeah, there are definitely other users where it doesn't, they're just never going to get to that point, but they still should be able to get answers out of that data too. Yeah, Yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. And I think that really does improve the, the, the user experience greatly by, by making you um, able to interact in a natural way. The other thing that you said was, and I think this is also really interesting because I watch brands struggle with this a lot and especially enterprise because there's so many variations across the whole business. And that's this idea of brand consistency across whatever content and, you know, interaction, material communication, whatever that you're generating, you can have that consistent brand experience across all of those different touch points. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, you know, back in March and April when we were first having conversations, right. With a lot of companies about generative AI, I feel like that was the number one thing. Like we're not, we're not going to just play around with random generative AI capabilities, right? Like we have such a strong brand. Like we have to make sure that what we're generating aligns with our brand guidelines, sure. like just sort of the, the palette, right? Like the tactical stuff, but also, you know, tone of voice, right? Like if you think about um, some brands where their voice is snarky, like you can't just open <laughs> random, <laughs> you know, copy generation and, and then copy and paste that. So I think that's a, that's a big one that we're working on, right. Is yeah. making sure that we understand brand guidelines. And then if you think about, you know, um, a large brand with multiple brands within it, right. And uh, mm-hmm. like suddenly now you're thinking about, um, how you're supporting that enterprise company across all of those different business lines. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. So, you know, we, I know we were talking a little bit before we got on the episode about uh, the fact that um, internally, Adobe uses uh, its own tools to do, you know, to do your own marketing operations. So you're using uh, Sensei Generative AI, you're using Experience Cloud to improve yes. your marketing outcomes. Could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I think that's really relevant for the audience to put it in the right context of here's some, here's what's really being done with those tools. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would say that um, we're working really hard right now to have um, folks across the company using our capabilities. Um, But I would say probably for the Sensei Gen AI capabilities, they're primarily used by Adobe Marketing and Adobe Studio teams, right? So some of the things that are happening today already are um, generating content for blog posts, Um, generating content in emails, um, generating experiences for display ads, um, and also thinking about um, how to further personalization at scale, Mm. right? So now we're thinking about not just, okay, one piece of content that we're going to put in this area. We're thinking about, okay, well, let's say we know the last Creative Cloud application they engaged with, right? That's pretty telling, right? If it was Premiere Pro versus Lightroom, for example. Um, So if we have that and we have an understanding, you know, of what audience they're in, well, let's actually create variations now, right? For all of these different combinations. So we're doing, I think we're doing some really interesting um, generation, but also measurement of that performance. So we generate these experiences, but then we also are understanding 
okay, well, for some audiences, these generated experiences are performing quite well. And for others, it's not resonating. Let's examine those, right? And start to understand why maybe those are not. But it's like giving our teams, I think, a lot more data to work with and to iterate off of, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. And that's, that to me, that's really exciting to be able to, to take, uh, you know, take that, test it, do whatever personalization, individualization you're going to do in a, in a much more tightly defined segment. And then over time, incorporate those metrics into it and improve your outcomes greatly, which is, you know, something that we've done in marketing for a long time to try to do this at a very rudimentary level, but to do it at this scale um, and with right. this much accuracy and even just the speed of being able to iterate across is amazing. Yeah, it's really the scale piece that is incredible. Like I was talking to um, the product marketer who worked on one of these campaigns and he was saying, you know, they created over 80 variants. And the reality is that they simply would not have ever done this before, right? Because the time to do it, it just takes too long. You can't make the numbers work in terms of like the value and learnings you're going to get out of that. But they were able to get out the door in seven days. So for him, it's like, wow, I'm learning so much more about more audiences, right? Than I ever could have before. And I'm like moving so much faster and I can then iterate on that. Right. And all of it's data driven. Right. So he's showing me like all the numbers. And so for anybody who's, you know, like um, likes to live in data driven marketing, I mean, this is this is what we just kind of couldn't do before. Right. And then my background as well as is in optimization. So like all of this really resonates. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. That's good. Well, you know, the, um, the, the thing that I, um, I, I, I like, you know, talking about personalization, I often shift the word a bit and start to talk about individualization because that, that's been my frustration. I think maybe just as a consumer too, that, um, that it, it, the personalization in the old definition wasn't that personal. Um, and now I feel like it is growing to the point where it really is individualized or it is a small, small, small segmentation versus that kind of broader segment. Um, so, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, generative AI enhancing personalization in your customer experience? I mean, maybe you have some examples of some of the ways it's impacted engagement and satisfaction. Um, yeah, well, you know, I actually think back to that example I just talked about, right, mm-hmm. where previously we probably would have put up, what, three to five banners, probably right. just pick the top three to five audiences that we're trying to hit hardest and call it a day, right? So I feel like then being able to say, okay, well, we're going to go from, you know, five pieces of content mm-hmm. to 80, right? If you think about that's actually five audiences, right? As opposed to 80 audiences. So if you start to think about like the multiplier of what, how many people is behind, you know, five audiences versus 80, Mm -hmm. it starts to get a lot more interesting. Right. But again, I feel like we're really, we're really at the forefront. Like, I think what's interesting too, and what has already been a question over the last few years is like, is personalization effective? And at, at what point is it, does it start to decline, right? So I think the idea of individualization, is that what you call it, individualization? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the concept is really interesting, but I do wonder, I wonder, like, 
where that that point is, right? Of mm-hmm. like highest value um, against level of effort against effort. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's true. Where's the where's the payback? And <clears throat> I also suspect that it varies greatly depending on what the context is, right? I mean, oh, I, yeah. I might I might respond very well to a highly individualized offering from BMW. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe I wouldn't from Procter Gamble because yeah, I don't I don't think that's as you know not nearly as effective. Not to mention the fact that the higher value of the item, the more the investment is likely to pay off, right? Yeah, and then also you know I think there's there are so many ways of even thinking about individualization. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't think it's an insurance company knowing everything about me, right? Like, <laughs> no, that I'm would be sure fine. I'm fine without that. So I, I think it's interesting. I, I'm really curious sort of um, how, how granular we can get. Yeah. Well, it depends on the data too, right? And, and I mean, you just hinted at one that that is a scary one. Like, I don't want my Apple Watch to report to my insurance company. I I just don't. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not sure that would be that useful, and it certainly wouldn't uh, be good for my pocketbook, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Well, so that, that leads me kind of into this. We're, we're talking a bit about measurement already. So, so maybe we could talk a bit about that. So how do you, and, and, you know, if you have some internal examples, that'd be great, uh, or some customer examples, but how do you measure the effectiveness of these generative AI tools in, you know, in campaigns, like what metrics, what KPIs are, are the most relevant? What should I look at? Yeah. Um, so I think again, when I think about the companies that we work with, the KPIs are unique to each of them, right? And so I think when we're thinking about how we're building out, it's with that in mind, like the flexibility to give them the ability to look at generative AI through the lenses they need to, right? So I mean, what we hear most right now is um, the first one is probably efficiency, right? So again, if a campaign normally takes me four weeks to get out the door, right? How significantly can I improve that by leveraging generative AI in different ways, right? Whether it's for ideation or whether it's actually all the way through the production. Um, But then of course the other piece is performance, right? So, you know, that's dependent on the business. So if I'm thinking about a retailer, they're probably examining it by revenue, right? But if I'm thinking about, um, you know, B2B, it's probably, you know, is this actually resulting in more leads for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the, that's the piece that's um, unique about where we sit at Adobe is that we have analytic solutions already, right? That our customers are using. So we already have all of this performance data. And of course, if they're using our creative tools, right? And our content tools as well, we have this whole picture already within the solutions they're already using. So we're starting to understand, you know, what experiences are performing best, but also breaking it down into why. So, you know, we're, we have AI to essentially break imagery down into metadata. So when you start to think about the why of it, it's like, okay, well, maybe we tested, you know, four different experiences, right? And maybe we know experience D performed the best. But now you can actually break it down to say, okay, well, let's forget about experience D in aggregate. 
but let's look at how these experiences performed and let's figure out what about these experiences resulted in the most engagement. So maybe it was actually that there was a person in the foreground of all these experiences, right? Mm. Or maybe we're seeing that actually um, shorter copy performs better, right? And so if you start to think about, okay, well, if you start to have these learnings and then you say, all right, generate me five more experiences incorporating mm. these learnings, you start to get to move a lot faster and a lot more intelligently in terms of like how you're generating content mm. and, and aiming it at performance. Mm. So, so it, 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 not only are you getting more scale out of that, but you're getting that faster. So you really do, uh, uh, reduce your time to run each of those campaigns, which overall should increase whatever that outcome metric is, right? I mean, it depends yeah. on the business, the context of the, of the campaign, but yeah, that, that is, um, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, having the data um, already available, but then being able to apply it in new, more unique and effective ways uh, is a great way to think about part of that force multiplier that you get from incorporating the, the generative AI tools. Yeah, because I mean, you know, if you think back like 20 years, the challenge was trying to get data about, <laughs> yeah. you know, your visitors. Now it's, you have massive amounts of data, but you don't want to be moving it around everywhere, right? And duplicating right. it everywhere. And so I think that's where um, I, I really like what we're able to offer customers yeah. without asking them to move data around or tag anything additional. Sure. Like that's super exciting. Yeah, that that is uh, that is very useful. And I, I used to sort of joke when, when we were so fixated with talking about big data that it was big and it was data and that's about all I knew about it. <laughs> So I'm not sure how good or bad that is, but it's uh, it, at some point you've got to make the data smart and relevant uh, and yeah. contextual or it's not useful at all. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, how are you going to act on that data? Data just to have data, I mean, it just takes up a lot of space. <laughs> it does, yeah, and costs money, so that's, yeah. you know. Uh, good, all right, well, let, let's change gears a little bit, though. So I, because... Obviously, a lot of benefit in applying these tools, and I think you know we're seeing a lot from force multiplier, from scaling, from you know effectiveness, all those different um, ideas, analyzing the data. Uh, but what about the other end of it? The ethical considerations, privacy concerns about using you know generative AI. Um, how do you how do you ensure compliance uh, with privacy regulations, data protection regulations. Yeah. I mean, obviously that varies a lot by geography, but uh, but obviously it's still something top of mind, especially for a lot of those global brands that you deal with. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been uh, grappling with this for a long time and building for it, right? So like you've said, we have many global companies and the rules are very different, right? From one country to the next. Uh, so the good thing is that because we've been working on this a long time, like we have a lot of measures in place for people to have regional control, right. Mm -hmm. And to decide, you know, what data goes to what data center and like all of those components and user access roles, user groups, all of that. So what we build with exists within that framework. Right. So that, that certainly helps for the customers that we have today. Um, but I think the other piece, the challenge with generative AI is that, regulation is going to continue to evolve, right? And again, like 
countries are going to feel very differently about this. And so we have to keep building in a way that allows for that flexibility. So I think that's one thing. Um, the other is that like what we're seeing a lot of companies move toward, which makes sense, is is kind of creating a, a center of excellence around generative AI, right? Yeah. And it's got to be cross-discipline and cross-region for, you know, the reasons we just talked about. So, you know, you, you're going to have to have somebody from legal uh, engineering, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, product. Um, so I think as you bring these people together, you have to get aligned on, okay, what what's what are the objectives, right, of adopting generative AI? Um, and also, how are we going to measure success, right? Because you want to make sure everybody's on the same page in terms of like what that looks like and what the baseline yeah. is. And then, of course, you you need folks to define like what are the guardrails, right? Like clearly, yeah. no data going in can never go out into the public, right? That's an right. easy one. But I think I think companies that are moving in that direction very quickly, uh, that that's what makes sense to me because otherwise like everybody is so excited about this capability that I think every company ours included, right. Initially saw a lot of people signing up for every, which service on their yeah. own, right. And playing yep. around. So I think, I think that's a key piece. And then in terms of, you know, ethical considerations, um, you know, again, like we had to deal with that way before generative right. AI, right? So like we publish like our AI ethics around ART, accountability, responsibility, transparency. Mm. Uh, we've had a AI review board for a very long time. Mm. So already when um, a solution is incorporating any capability leveraging AI, um, it actually then goes through a process, right? And depending on, on how big it is and what it's doing, it'll go through a pretty significant review process, right? And that that review board, right, we make sure is diverse, right? Because we've obviously all read a lot of stories about what happens when you don't have diversity from, through like very different, many different angles. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, a few uh, few episodes ago, I interviewed a um, an expert in... Um, in governance and compliance for for generative AI, and and then, and then the person had actually at one point had a role in in government around regulating AI, and then was now you know with a, a company. And one of the best practices that he shared, and I I I've, I've used this with clients since then a lot because I think this is simple, but something a lot of companies don't think about, and that is you should have your governance strategy for generative AI defined before you're using generative AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't, don't build the plane while you're flying. It. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a, that's a good uh, analogy. I think it's uh, yeah. So I, I mean, but I think a lot of companies have jumped into this and, and maybe, maybe in some ways it's kind of like uh, the way social tools got into the enterprise to start with. They just came in through the back door. Um, but now we're starting to take a more mindful approach. Yeah, I mean, I laugh, but at the same time, um, it's, it, I mean, it's good advice. And it's also, it is actually hard to do because everyone is so excited. And then, of course, like, you're reading about the news all the time. You're reading about your competitors already getting started, right? Whether it's true or not. And so everybody is trying to push, 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 right? So, um, I mean, I laugh, but like, I, it's a real, <laughs> it's a real thing. No, I mean, it, it, it's, it is, it's humorous in some, at some level until it breaks down. And then I guess it's not uh, humorous anymore. So, 
Yeah. And I mean, we're definitely seeing a huge range in risk tolerance, right? In terms of the the, the companies we're talking to mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. And I mean, that starts, I think that's typical in technology too, right? When I first start doing the experimentation, it's it's at a very loose level, but over time you start to realize where you have to build those guardrails and what sort of frameworks you have to put in place because of that uh, experimentation. And hopefully soon enough that you don't have an, an oops that, you know, is yeah. somewhat embarrassing because that is definitely not what you want and especially at scale. Right. So. Yeah. And I, you know, like in terms of how we're designing our capabilities, it is always with this idea of the human in the loop, right? Like there's no, there's no thing that we're designing where it's like prompt to production. Let's go. Right. Like it's very much a process that's integrated into a workflow that is mm. led by a human and we're just trying to create efficiencies and that's very much a, a point in every conversation we have because there are some companies who i think maybe would be on board with just like let's go for it right yeah, but we're <laughs> we're like no let's not do that <laughs> not yet no no not yeah. time no I, I like the term human machine collaboration i think that's a very yeah. effective way to think about it for now and and you know i i i think augmenting is is great but yeah. replacing uh someday there will be some things of course but uh in the short term uh safer is better i guess is the way to say yeah, um, I think generative AI gives people just a lot more capacity, right? That you have more time now to be strategic and creative mm-hmm. instead of, you know, pushing buttons repetitively. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so you talked to a lot of customers and you've also seen this internally, I'm sure, as, uh, as um, Adobe's, you know, adopted many of these tools and practices. So what do you think the main challenges are that you're seeing? And then what are the limitations of using generative AI marketing today? And then how do you think uh, companies should approach that? How, sh- how can they address that? Yeah, um, I think the limitations are kind of what we just talked about, like the concerns, the risks, right? And so there are definitely ways to get started that are far less risk. So if you think about generative AI, maybe from an ideation perspective, right? I think that's a lot of how people are dipping their toe in the water today. And I think that's a great use case because... You know, well, you, you're a writer, I'm a writer, like a blank page is probably the worst thing. (laughs) It is the worst thing, no question. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like being able to take that away and say, all right, just start from somewhere and Mm -hmm. get moving. I mean, I know to me, that's really meaningful, right? Like, I mean, in the past when I've had to try to get started, like I have, I have writing books full of just prompts, right? They're silly prompts. Usually whatever I write initially, it falls away. I end up deleting it, but like it gets me going. And so I think like that, that kind of use case is a great one to get started with. Um, I think other ones again are, are ones where it's people in the company engaging with generative AI, but you're, you're not um, sending that out in front of their customers, mm. right. Without again, somebody having some level of oversight. Um, so I think, I think that's a key piece as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I, I was, uh, yesterday I, I was like, okay, what am I going to, I like to do two or three blog posts a week. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to write about? Cause I've written a lot about generative AI over the last you know six months or so. And, and I, 
I had a blank page and I literally just couldn't come up with a topic. So I did go to one of the Gen AI tools and go, okay, give me a list of really good blog topics on these five topic, you know, areas. And immediately I had something and I've written and it's just about ready to publish. So it, it just, it's such an acceleration yeah. in such a simple way. Right. Cause I, it's not something I couldn't have thought of on my own, but I just didn't think of it. And you know, yeah. that little bit of nudge, makes such a difference. Totally. No, I, I had a really silly task yesterday. I did, I had to come up with a fictional company name and I sat there and I was like, I don't know. Right. Like, I mean, where am I going to get this from my brain? Then I asked for some ideas. I didn't use any of them, but it's just like, it's like, okay, right. Like, let's just get this done. Yeah. It's like having a collaboration partner in, you know, in a, in a, in a world where, you know, I used to go to an office and used to sit around and talk to people. Um, and so it does help me. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in just the simple use of it in an everyday way. So. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's, that's what I want our assistant to play the role of mm. as well. Right. Cause again, like if a marketer is in our solutions and they're like, uh, audience, what audience, <laughs> right. Or, you know, yeah. a journey, which journey, I mean, I think being able to engage with this assistant to ask, right. Um, you know, what are, what are attributes of the top performing journeys over the last six months? Right. Great okay, I have an idea, right? Or, okay, well, looking over the last six months, you know, what what were the pages that people touched the most prior to converting, right? Okay, let's let's think about like how we can further optimize those pages. Mm. So I, I just, I love the idea of there being this person to, or this thing, I guess, <laughs> to just like augment our work and make us smarter and faster. Yeah, I think I'm going to name mine because I do get tired of calling it a thing. So, <laughs> no, it seems feel very rude and impersonal. It does seem rude. I, I don't, you know, it's not, it's impersonal. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's really all the time we have today. But I, I, um, I could definitely keep going, uh, but I suspect we'd lose the audience at some point. So, um, but I do have a, I do have one thing, Lily, that I always do at the end to just, uh, you know, a, a, a way to help the audience a bit. So, do you have a, a, a recommendation for somebody, a thought leader or, you know, an author or mentor, somebody that, that you, you know, either has influenced you or, or that you think would be really useful for the audience to, to, uh, to read or listen to. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, it's not in the realm of AI, uh, yeah. but uh, a book that I return to actually a lot over mm-hmm. decades now um, is a book called The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. Uh, mm-hmm. She wrote Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. She's an essayist and her mm-hmm. work is gorgeous. Uh, but there was something I read, I think, like over 20 years ago now that has always stuck with me. Um, and it's this line how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Mm. And it's just this reminder to me always, like, am I spending my time well, right? Am I doing the things today that I want to do, like, in my life? So that's, yeah, not related to AI, but I actually think, like, I just love her her work, and it's something that has really stuck with me. Yeah, no, that's great. And Definitely doesn't have to be AI related. I think that's really useful. And, um, you know, like I said, just trying to, uh, to help people a little bit as they, uh, live their lives and, uh, and continue to evolve and learn. So, um, Lily, great conversation. I really, really appreciate you joining me. Thank today. you, Michael. Thanks for having me.
tank. And that's the show for this week. Thank you all for joining. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI and other software research reports and posts, check out the arianresearch.com slash blog and slash research reports. And don't forget to join us next week. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.